James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, now we come before your word, humbly seeking the grace of your spirit, that you might illumine it to us, make it live within us and in our hearts, that you might transform us as the God who changes hearts, and might we, in listening, give you honor and glory. Speak through your servant now as he brings your word, in Christ's name, amen. Blessed congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a general education class when I was in college, a class that everyone uh, despised, essentially. No one looked forward to it, and uh, no one wanted to take it. it was, uh, people didn't like it because there was a ton of reading, and you had to take good notes and pay attention, so pristine attendance in class was necessary. You had to study hard. The teacher was not known for giving much grace on the exam. She was a, a fairly tough grader. Now, I say all of those things, and if you really take it apart, really all that means is that the expectations were, were very normal. They're right in front of you. You had to know the material. You had to learn and, and master the material, study hard, and if you did, then you would do fine. But you had to give yourself to it. We often look for an easier way out. But it was right in front of you. The concept of how you would do well in the class was, was extremely simple, but doing it proved very difficult for, for most. It reminded me, as I was thinking about this, reminded me of, of uh, a, golf, uh, a game that some of you might like to play, golf, right? Of course, I don't like to play it, but some of you might. And the concept of golf is very simple. It's right in front of you. There's huge areas in which you are allowed to hit the ball, and you're supposed to kind of just keep going forward. The ball is not moving. The hole is not moving. Yet it, is, it proves extremely difficult for most people. The concept is easy. Living it out, however, is, is a different thing. And these instructions are similar in that way. They're very easy to understand. 
These words from James are not complex. They are not hard to grasp. And we intuitively know these things. We know that our words, our speech, is something that we have to control. We know that we can do significant damage with our words, both to ourselves and to others. We know that we ought to use our mouths, our tongues, to be oriented towards good things, God-honoring things, and yet so often we fail with our words. How often we say things that we wish we hadn't. One of the reasons for this is that our mouths are the ambassadors of our hearts. And even though our hearts are redeemed by God's grace in Christ, our hearts are what? Prone to wander. And as our hearts go astray, so too our mouths. This idea of the ambassador of the heart, I'm I'm borrowing from uh, Craig Troxell, the man who preached for us a few weeks ago, and his wonderful book on the heart. Our hearts go astray, and our mouths follow suit. But thankfully, because we know, we believe what Jesus says, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, we know where we must get to work. We know what the problem is. That if our hearts are changed, if our hearts are transformed and being renewed and uh, being changed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, then it will bear fruit in our mouths. Ultimately, what this takes is faith and diligence. Faith to believe God's word when it says that God is the one who changes us. God is the one who creates in us a clean heart. But also diligence uh, to be faithful in attending to the things that God has given to us in which and through which he changes us. And that uh, chiefly is attending to uh, God's the, the worship of God in the midst of God's people, the proclamation of the word and the sacraments and prayer, the things that God gives to us in order that we might be changed. So let us think of all these things together in faith and in diligence that God might point our hearts and the faith of our hearts towards the Lord of our hearts, our prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. First, we see in the passage the significance and the danger of our words, and we, and we know this. We know that our words are significant and dangerous. We've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all intuitively know that this is silly. We know intuitively that words hurt much more than rocks or sticks. In the context of, of James, we've just considered the importance of works, the, the relationship of faith and works and how that fits together in the Christian life, that true faith by which we are truly reconciled to God, true and living faith will bring forth fruit in the Christian life. And our words are one of the most important works in our lives, aren't they? Some of the most important things that we do are the words that we say. Not only are they dangerous because of how they may hurt others, but uh, they are very significant because with words we communicate truth. With words, we say what is true, and hopefully as God's people, we do not say what is false. So James begins there with the danger for teachers. In the early church, and in James' largely Jewish context of the very early church here in which he is writing, there was a culture of revering the teaching office in the church. And we we still see that uh, to some extent in our own world, though the the reverence, perhaps, for ministers in the church is not what it used to be culturally, but, but in the church still, we, 
we still do have that largely. But this would have been connected to the Jewish rabbi. That would have been where the, the early Christians would have had this reverence for the teaching office. And because of this, many were seeking it out. Many were seeking out the teaching office for the wrong reasons. They were wanting to, to occupy that office so that they may be well thought of by people. It is within this idea that James likely cautions them. Be cautious about entering the teaching ministry. It's not about what men think about you that ultimately matters. It's what God knows about you. God looks upon the heart. And so if you are wanting to have this place of significance to be well thought of by uh, the people of God, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And let me just caution you with something, he says. Remember that ultimately you will answer to God for the things that you say. There will be an evaluation of the words used when being the mouthpiece of God. And we understand this. It, it makes sense. Many of us, all of us, we have political opinions. They may be good or bad, ideas about how we might want to run the country if we were king or president for a day. But those ideas don't tend to have consequences until someone with bad ideas is occupying the office of president. That's when it comes to have significant consequences. And there's something similar going on in, in the church. The, the one who is teaching has much more ability to have negative effects and consequences if he is teaching something that is not true. And ultimately, that will lead to a harsher judgment and evaluation when they give an account for the words that they have said on behalf of God. There's also just the truth that the teaching office in the church, when God's people are gathered, the teacher, the preacher is the one who is doing most of the talking. And if you talk more, as Proverbs will tell you, there's more opportunity to sin. There's more opportunity to say something wrong. This is given then as a, as a caution, and it ought to humble those who either do teach in the church or who aspire to it. You do not enter the teaching ministry. You do not become a pastor for the wrong reasons. You should not enter it because you want to be well thought of by God's people. It's not what men think of you. It's what God knows about you. God is the one who looks upon the heart. That then becomes the way in which he warns everyone. This is not just a, a passage for teachers, preachers, pastors alone. This is, a this is a passage for everyone, for words are dangerous and significant for all. We all stumble in many ways, as we read in our passage. Now, that, this means that at the end of verse 2, James is really just being hypothetical. There is no perfect man who can fully bridle the tongue. It is a world of unrighteousness. It is a fire. Notice that he, he doesn't say it is like a fire. He says it is a fire. It sets things on fire in your life. A world of unrighteousness. In today's parlance, perhaps, he would have said something like, it's a, it's a multiverse of unrighteousness. In other words, it's a, a web or system of unrighteousness of, of sin that can have both far-reaching effects and can create new and different kinds of sin and problems of sin in your life. That's exactly what a fire does, right? If something sets something else on fire then what has been set on fire can then spread elsewhere. And that's what our words can do. It can create this web, this system, this world of unrighteousness and sin that can have both far-reaching effects 
end can then create domino effects of sin and sinfulness that reach out even beyond us. It is a restless evil. It is a full of deadly poison. In other words, he's, he's piling these pictures, these similes, and, and also just these, uh, these ideas, these truths upon one another in order to give us warning. The negative, uh, the negative explanation or the negative pictures that he is creating, it doesn't need much explanation, does it? You don't need me to tell you what James is, is emphasizing here. You don't need me to tell you that James is saying our tongues, our mouths, our words can and will do much damage. But perhaps we can take a few moments and, and uh, focus on three areas of speech that are particularly, when we look at the Word of God, are particularly sinful and problematic. The first is lying, untruthful speech. Proverbs 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. God is true. God's Word is true. Jesus calls Himself the truth. How can we be the people of God unless we are truthful people? We must make sacrifices for the truth. We must allow things in our lives to go worse for us because we, we make sacrifices for the truth. We tell little lies here and there to sort of navigate your way through life. We, we understand what those temptations are all about. Lying lips, an abomination to the Lord. What do you do with your mouth? You represent the truth. When we talk about our faith in Jesus Christ, when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, when we pray corporate prayers, we are saying things that are profoundly true. And the the duality that we are warned against is to be the kind of person who can come into church and sit there and say things that are true and then go outside of the walls of the church and say things that are untrue. That's what we need to be aware of. Lying lips and abomination to the Lord. Secondly, there is vulgar speech that we need to stay away from. Ephesians 5, verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. We live in a very vulgar, a very crude age, don't we? Where words that we perhaps used to not hear, we now hear with regularity. Those who hold public office, and now it's kind of considered that you're passionate, you are zealous if you're willing to say these kind of no-no words, what used to be no-no words, you sort of say them in debates or in press conferences. Not only just the, the words that we say, but also just the crudeness of what we're speaking about. We're not to be vulgar or crude with the, the subjects about which we speak. We all know many examples of this. And then, so lying speech, vulgar speech. Thirdly, what we might call corrupting speech, or what Ephesians calls corrupting speech. That's a speech which does damage, and it hurts others. Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our speech must be grace-filled, must be filled with the, the fruit of the Spirit. It must fit the occasion. We must have sensitivity to those things, and it must be good for building up. And this is not just a command to be uh, super passive and nice with your words. 
This means that building up often means lovingly challenging, lovingly giving correction, lovingly encouraging with God's truth. But what we need to stay away from is corrupting speech, which damages and hurts. Failure in these areas can set the whole course of life on fire. That's how high the stakes are. You can ruin your life with what you say. That's what this passage is impressing upon us. Your life can be ruined. Your earthly life can be ruined by your mouth. But the stakes are even higher, right? It sets on fire the whole course of life and the tongue and is set on fire by hell. There will be those who go to eternal condemnation on the basis of what they have said. That's how high the stakes are. Matthew 12, I tell you, Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You can go to hell for what you say. In an age when talk is cheap, these are warnings that we need to hear. And thus, if words are important, what do we need? We need self-control, we need self-discipline. We need to control our tongues, we need to discipline our tongues. Dangerous things are not things that should never be used. We know that. Knives are dangerous, but with them we also do numerous vital and important tasks, as simple as preparing our food each day. How difficult would that be without knives? Cars, trains, vehicles are dangerous, but we know that they make our lives much simpler. Powerful weapons, of course, are extraordinarily dangerous, but with them people and armies fend off all kinds of evil. So also the tongue. It is extraordinarily dangerous, but that does not mean you just shut your mouth forever. That does not mean that you cease to use your mouth and your tongue. The danger, of course, is having a double tongue, which James speaks of, which is the kind of lifestyle that he castigates time and again in this letter that he writes under the Spirit's inspiration. The person who who claims to be a child of God but then mistreats one of God's own people at the beginning of chapter 2. One of God's children comes in amongst you, but he's not wearing clothes, the kinds of clothes that you want, of a wealthy person. Unless you think this person to be less significant, you treat them differently. That's the double-minded man. A double-minded man, a person who claims to have faith, but it's simply just a bare verbal profession. There's nothing there. There's no vitality or fruit that is born in their lives. So now the man who blesses God and curses people, something that we are commanded by Jesus not to do, bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. This is something incompatible with the Christian life, this duality of the mouth. Bless God, curse those whom God has made. Even non-Christian philosophers and moralists have realized the danger of having, having a double tongue. And thus, we as God's people, we ought to be, of all people, most careful in avoiding it. But we must control our tongues first. Uh, little things control big things. That's what the bit and the rudder picture is doing for us in James chapter 3. The bit and the tongue of a horse, the rudder which steers a very large ship. So the whole course of our lives is directed by something that is so small, the tongue. Self-control is to stay back, to refrain yourself from saying something. And we need to learn to do that by God's grace, don't we? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
A fool, Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You talk about setting on fire your whole course of life. We could look at Samson, the book of Judges. When he, is, when he spills the beans, as it were, to Delilah about where his strength comes from, we are told in Judges that he told her all his heart. He was a fool that gave full vent to his spirit. Thus, by God's grace, what do we need to do? We need to learn to control our tongues. When something sinful wells up in our hearts, we learn not to say it. And we'll talk about how we do that in just a minute. But we must also discipline our tongues. Self-control is different than self-discipline. Self-control is holding back. Self-discipline is choosing your course. It is orienting something towards the good. It's the, it's the idea, more the idea of the rudder and steering the ship. And it's going in a good place. And that's the idea of using your tongue, using your mouth for good things and God honoring things. The mouth of blessing and cursing tells us something. The mouth that blesses and curses cannot become a mouth that does neither. But in blessing God, we need to learn to bless others. That's the challenge that is before us. To build others up, to encourage them, to love them by pointing them to God's truth, as we just talked about. Lovingly challenging them or correcting them by praying for them. Using your, your mouth, your tongue to pray to the Lord for yourself and for others. Craig Troxell says this, The righteous person is known by what he says and what he does not say, by the absence of inappropriate words and the timeliness of appropriate ones, by the rare appearance of angry and sarcastic speech and the frequency of words that bring peace and healing. Self-control and self-discipline the absence of angry, sinful, damaging, hurtful words, and the frequency of well-timed, grace-filled, wise words that build up and bring healing. How do we do that? That's what we'll think about for the closing few minutes. The end of our passage has three illustrations. There's the spring and the fig tree and the grapevine, and the idea is, is what they are at their core is what they bring forth. Right? A grapevine is going to bring forth grapes. A fig tree, it cannot bear olives, is going to bring forth figs. All impressing upon us this very simple truth that we see in the teachings of Jesus as well. A pure heart cannot produce false, bitter, and harmful speech. That's, that's the point. So where is your heart? Do you have a pure heart? Has your heart been changed? And what do we do in order to do that? Well, we need to come to the Lord of our hearts, Jesus Christ, our prophet and priest and king. Now think with me just for a, minute, a moment how all three offices of Christ give us benefits in order that we might use our tongues, our mouths for God's glory, in order that we might be changed and transformed to live according to uh, what we are commanded to. First, Christ's office of prophet. What does the office of prophet do for us? As our great and final prophet, he teaches us God's truth such that we would know God's truth and cherish God's truth. 
if you've been changed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, if you are united to him by faith, you must be marked by a hunger and a cherishing for the truth of God. And by the, by the Spirit, Jesus continues to exercise this office for our good. When we rely upon the Spirit, we are taught the truth of Christ. We learn a mind that has been shaped by God's wisdom is, a, is then a mouth that will be filled with good things. Secondly, priest, Jesus cleanses us from all our faults, our sins and our shortcomings, which we have committed with our mouths. Any of us said things that we regret? Have any of us said things that as we reflect upon it over time, we realize more and more how, how, how damaging it actually was? We don't even realize until it, time goes on how much hurt that we have caused. But Jesus is our great high priest. And thus, do we truly believe that his blood and his righteousness cleanses us from our sins and our shortcomings? When we read a passage like this, the tongue can be set on fire by hell. And Jesus' words, by your words, you will be condemned. What do we need but a faith, a vital and courageous faith in the gospel of grace that our great high priest cleanses us from the sins we have committed with our mouths, from the damage that we have done? He cleanses us so that we might have the assurance to go forward so that we might have the assurance to then live our lives and seek to honor what God calls us to hear. It needs to be rooted in what Christ has done for us. We have no hope unless we begin with the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have no hope unless we begin with the gospel of grace, the priesthood of Christ. And then lastly, Christ's office of king. Our mouths are clear evidence of the reign of Christ in our lives. Those who have been subdued unto Christ and that his reign is becoming known in them and realized in them. These are people who will bear clear evidence of that in and through what they say. A prophet and a priest and a king. To forgive you of the sins you, forget, you, you, you commit with your mouths to teach you, to fill your heart with wisdom that you may have grace to give those around you, and a king who subdues you to himself and allows his reign to be known in you such that it is your joy to leave aside your selfish reasons for using your mouth and your tongue, to use it then for the glory of God. Give yourself to the Lord of your heart. We read in 1 Peter 2 the things that Christ did and focus here on how Peter focuses in on the speech of Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, if I were to tell you Go and live like Jesus, just as sort of a, a bare command. That, that is an extremely, that, that, that's an impossible bar <laughs> to, to simply just reflect his character here. But listen to where Peter goes next. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin 
and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Begin with the healing that the Lord of your heart gives to you. And come to him and give your heart to him in faith and reliance. And have a, a twofold thing in your mind when we talk about both faith and diligence. Have two scriptures in your mind. The first is faith. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The only way that our hearts are going to be changed, transformed, and renewed are by the God who changes them. And yet Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So we pray that God would create in us a clean heart, and we also are diligent to attend to the things that he gives to us, faith and reliance, uh, uh, faith and diligence, sorry. And what is it that we're doing when we gather as God's people for worship? We're doing those very things. We're, we're coming here and sitting and receiving because we are saying we need the Lord to change us. We need him to give his grace to us. But you had to come here, didn't you? You had to be here to receive it. You have to be diligent to open God's word and to attend to prayer and to give yourself to the things that the Lord gives to you to change and transform your heart. The Lord's Day then largely becomes about receiving these blessings and the merits of Christ. And what we see is the Lord changes our hearts. We will see fruit that is born perhaps principally most often in our mouths, pointed away from lying and vulgar and damaging or corrupting speech. And letting our mouths be filled with the praise of the Lord. Understanding the danger and the significance. But giving ourselves to the one who reigns and rules over our hearts. That our mouths might become reflective of all of those things. May the Lord by his grace enable us to do all of these things. And live for his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbled. We've all committed so many sins with our mouths, with our tongues. These are known only to you. And perhaps in our minds we, we think of the past and we are wounded by it. So we pray that you would assure us the, of the sufficiency of Christ's work and that as we look to the example that he is, the one who did not revile in return, the one who did not threaten, uh, the one who, in whom no deceit was found. Oh, Father, we pray that as we come to that example, we would be encouraged to know that by his wounds we are healed and that having that standing before you makes all of the difference. We can have the assurance of our prophet and priest and king. Oh, Father, we pray that our mouths as our heart's ambassador would be cleansed and renewed this day, that our mouth would be filled with the praise of the Lord, that our, mouth, our mouths would be filled with, with grace-filled, well-timed, building-up speech, and that it may help those who hear it. We pray and ask uh, your grace in all of these things. In Christ's name, amen.